Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon here with you on a stormy summer evening here in Michigan. I am curled up on my couch recording this and it is pouring rain outside with some thunder thrown in for good measure. So, Today, I am sharing an interview that is especially for my romance reading listeners. This is an interview that I did right at the end of 2021, and it is with author Cerecia Glass for her 2021 novel, The Love Con. And this is an amazingly epic romance. It covers so many relevant and timely issues while providing you exactly the kind of fake relationship goodness so many of us love. So I hope you enjoy this interview and the book that we discuss. After that, of course, I will be back to chat with you about this week's new releases. So let's get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Cerecia Glass, about her latest novel, The Love Con, which was released here in the U.S. on December 14th. Cerecia, thank you so much for taking time out of your pre-holiday schedule to talk with me today. Thank you, Shannon, for having me. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Can we start out with a brief introduction to The Love Con so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect? Sure. Um, the Love Con is set around a fake reality show uh, cosplay competition, which is basically costume playing. So um, Kenya, my heroine, has made it to the final round. And in the final round, she's got to do an iconic duo costume and to, and is supposed to be with her, her life partner. Um, unfortunately, Kenya is single at that moment and um, desperate to not be disqualified because, you know, she's fought her way up to the final round. She basically blurts out the name of her best friend and roommate, Cameron Lasseter, and kind of <laughs> insinuates that he is her boyfriend, which, of course, is news to him. But he does agree to cosplay as her boyfriend, being her fake boyfriend. So... When the production crew comes back home with Kenya, they have to do these, uh, coordinate these public displays of affection and pretty much kind of show for the cameras, their friends, their family, that they are an actual couple. So as they're designing their costumes and all of that, they start to, in doing these PDAs, they start having feelings for each other. You know, they, they've been friends for half their lives and they do love each other, but now they're kind of transitioning into being in love with each other. And so, of course, when that happens, there are people coming out of the woodwork, basically, to kind of like uh, prove that this is all just a hoax on their part, just to win the prize money. And so the whole, the rest of the book is all about them examining their feelings for each other, some microaggressions that Kenya has to deal with, and their own conflicted feelings for each other before they can reach their happily ever after. So I have to tell you that from the moment I saw the synopsis for The Love Con, like this made me 
just so happy. I love fake relationship books. And I also really love this whole like reality kind of TV show stuff that is making its way into fiction, especially romance right now. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, reality TV is, it's, it's an addiction. You know, you, you start watching it saying that maybe you're not going to watch it, but then you start watching an episode and next thing you know, you, you're hooked and you're, you're either rooting for people or you're hating people and want them to get their comeuppance. And it, it's just very addictive. I, I try not to get sucked in, but it's almost impossible. The way that they set it up, you know, that you, you can't turn away. It's like a, a, a televised train wreck, you know, where it's just, you can't help but see, tune in each week to see what's going to happen to these people especially the ones that you don't like which of course you know that they kind of manufacture it probably but then again it's like these people's attitudes and you're just like you want to reach through the tv or or your phone and and bitch slap some folks but you 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 still are just tuning in every week it's funny because i'm not a big like actual watching reality tv person but it is so fun to read about. Like, I've never been much of a TV person, but mm. if you set a book in reality TV, like, <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> yeah, so I was a little worried because I've only, like, there's only a couple that I actually got sucked into, which was, like, the 90 Day Fiance ones. For some strange reason, they were doing, like, a, a marathon of them, and oh. I didn't want to watch it. I really didn't because I'm like, you know, these people. But... I got sucked in, sucked in, especially the international version where they were like going overseas to meet their spouses, families or whatever. So um, I was like, you know, maybe I should try to do my hand at it. And they're also kind of different, but they do have like these these kind of same setups. So I figured that I could probably get away with doing a reality show um, and just kind of create my own version of what it would be in my head, especially the production part of it. So I hope I did a good job on that. I have not seen one with cosplay before. So I think that is super cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's just, I, I really love cosplay. I don't do it as often as I want to, um, especially uh, going to Dragon Con. That's my home um, convention here in Atlanta. And, you know, just seeing people in costume and seeing them having fun playing these characters that they love, it's just really inspiring. And also seeing people create, knowing that these peeps, a lot of them have created their own costumes from scratch. I'm just in awe of the ability to do that. I can't do that. I just, I just source my pieces and put them together in some kind of uh, form that, you know, is kind of loosely based on a character that I like. Um, but yeah, so the people who can actually make costumes and be good at it, I'm just in awe. So it's kind of an homage to those people um, who can create them and people who love to actually do cosplay and dress up in costumes and have a good time. I think we are having an homage to the barking, howling canine. Yes, because that particular Freddy, my Kane Corso, always loves to bark as soon as I get on a Zoom call. It's like he knows. <laughs> and he's outside right now. He is not actually in the house. Oh, my gosh. That is like a yeah. huge bark. Yeah, sorry for the sidetracking there. That's okay. Books, dogs, cats, you know, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> So do you have a favorite, like, costume that you've put together? Um, the best one, I, I also love Egyptian mythology. So the best oh, one that yes. I put together is, like, I, I went um, to a convention dressed as Isis. So I had, the, you know, the, the white dress, the collar, the headdress, and the golden wings. I had the whole thing. So I really loved um, doing that one. Of course, I've done pirates and tavern winches because I – first started um, playing in costume at the Renaissance Festival. So that's where I bought my first corset and that started a corset habit. So I've got about 10 of them now. Um, I don't have a purple one. I need to do that. So Ooh, you know, a purple one. I really need to get myself a purple corset now um, and find a way to somewhere to wear it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And I've 
done different incarnations of that. Uh, if I know that I'm going to be able to stay in a host hotel, then it's easier to bring all of the costs and stuff. But if I'm traveling back and forth, I'm not sitting on public transportation dressed in my costume. That's because that's just me. Um, no, that might be a little... <laughs> Right, yeah. Awkward. Right. If if I was traveling with somebody else and we were on the train together going to the hotel, then that might be different. Um, But, yeah, since I live a a good distance from downtown Atlanta, I take public transportation instead of driving. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'd rather not be in costume on on our public train system here. So maybe your next book can be like a Renaissance Fair book? That would be nice. I know that um, there are a couple set in uh, Renaissance fairs out there, but I do love it. So I think it would be kind of cool to do one either as a guest falling in love with a performer or something like that. That would be great. So I think there's, what are they? The Jen DeLuca books. Um, Right. Yes. Well met. Well met. Yes. I know that one. Those are the only three I can think of. Yeah, so I really, yeah, so I, I like hers, and I don't want to, you know, step on her territory, so to speak, but, you know, everybody's going to do their own take on yes. um, an idea, so I think that that would be really cool, or maybe, like, a guest that falls in love with one of the knights at Medieval Times, that would be kind of cool, or something like that, that would that would be kind of cool, I just love, you know, geek culture, and so, you know, since this one has, uh, since the love kind seems to ha- uh, have a good reception to it. I figured that I can keep on uh, digging into my uh, my nerd well here, my, my nerddom, and uh, write some other books set around nerds find, finding love, doing so things not love. That, you know, not that it's my place to like, tell you what to write, but if you wrote a Renaissance book, I would be like <laughs> so here for that. <laughs> I, I, I need to see, you know, because that is part of, you know, the geek culture to me, because it's true. Love to, yeah, they love to go in costume to the Renaissance Festival. I mean, it's fun. It's it takes you away from your world and your reality for a while. And a lot of people like to do that. So, you know, escape how you can, whether it be movies or books or dressing up in costume and going going somewhere where other people are dressed in costume and you're just having a good time. So I probably need to do that. When I was in grad school, I lived in Texas and I went to a couple of Ren fairs um, near Dallas and I'm blind. So I came and I had my guide dog with me and she okay. was this big black um, Labrador golden retriever cross. So she's like solid black. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, oh, is that a werewolf? <laughs> Like, um, yes, 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 that is exactly what it is. I am bringing a werewolf to the Ren Fair. And I thought, you know, I didn't like dress up um, as somebody who, who can't see myself. I'm really, really awkward when it comes to like Halloween costumes or any kind of costumes. I'm not a dress up person. But I thought, yes, this is all I need. I can like have this dog and it can be a werewolf and we'll be just fine. That's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. So. I know that I, I have you know, told you what I wish you would write, but what are you working on next now that the love con is out in the world? A, a black girl gamer, a female gamer, um, taking Ooh. on some of the issues uh, that uh, female gamers uh, in general and black female gamers in particular have to face in that environment. So while it's still going to be hopefully funny, it's still going to touch on some of those topics that uh, they have to deal with. So kind of another rip from the headlines rom-com, you know. Beautiful. <laughs> headlines, yeah. Have you read Slay by Brittany Morris? No, I haven't. I have seen the cover. It's probably in my to-be-read Kindle. <laughs> Lord, yeah, the to-be-read pile. Um but no, I have not actually read that. So I guess it's I need YA. to read it to the top. It's, it's YA, so it's not like the same as, as what you're doing. But mm-hmm. I loved the whole way that she was able to bring the sort of a person that we don't necessarily think of when we think of who's going to be really big into gaming and mm-hmm. who's going to be super successful at it. And I thought it was just such such a good story for teenage girls who are looking to see themselves 
in places where they just don't all that often. Right. I mean, representation matters and being able to see yourself um, in different areas, especially areas where we're kind of scarce. It, it just I think it just kind of empowers and give people hope and give them the courage to indulge in the things that they actually love and being unapologetic about it. So, you know, that's something that I, I want people to take away from the LoveCon, too, is that, you know, do what you love, whatever brings you joy. You know, if this brings you joy, you keep it, <laughs> you know. Yes. So and you do it as much as you can and you build yourself a network of people who are going to support you doing what you love. Because, you know, you, there's enough negativity in the world. And if you can get your group together that's going to have your back and it's going to, you know, support you in doing what you love and, and be there for you. I think that that's the most important thing. I would definitely agree with that. I think representation on so many fronts, like not only Mm -hmm. am I a person with a disability, but I'm also a lesbian and it's really hard to find. It's a little better now, but like it's always been hard to find like lesbian romance, but also like disability representation that isn't highly ridiculous. Right. Or it's used um, as just a plot point or becomes this tragic, uh, this tragedy thing. I really hate that. It's like, you know, let the person be a person because we're all people, you know, we just, we have these different things about us that make us unique or that make us who we are and stuff that we have to deal with every day. I mean, you know, I have my own issues or, you know, sure things that I have to manage health wise to be, you know, to function in society uh, and, you know, and just write it as a real thing and not using it as an excuse, a plot point or a tragic ending for this, yes. for a sideline character. I really, yeah, I really hate that. It's just, those kind of books make me mad. So I, I don't blame you. How do you think representation has changed over the past, let's say, even 10 years? And you not know, just like disability rep, but like any kind of like marginalized representation um, that you have you have noticed. Well, you know, I think that we I have to hand it to Disney, especially the, the Disney Channel, um, bringing on a wide variety of uh, kids in their shows. Um, Nickelodeon, too. Um, Degrassi even. Uh, I So I think that the, a lot of the shows that Disney has done in their efforts to create diverse casts, I think that that has, uh, has helped to make seeing different people with different things going on with them more acceptable and, and not other. So, cause you know, it's real easy to other folks. That's just kind of like a, almost like an unfortunate rite of passage being in from high school and stuff that, you know, yes. And with the bullying and stuff is, it's real easy to, you know, attack people who are different. So I think that Disney just showing people who are different, just kind of living their lives is, has helped a lot. And there's been other TV shows that have done that. Um, I wish that they would actually use actual uh, people with disabilities versus actors who are not trying to play ah, yes. people with disabilities. Um, so, but, you know, um, like there was, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher the name of it, but the next season is coming out. It's either Finding Dion or Chasing Dion, which was a Netflix show. And one of his best friends is actually, um, is actually a, a little, a girl, um, who's in a wheelchair. I, she may have MS. I'm not really, I can't remember um, what it was because the show came out last year, but she's just a person, but they show her, you know, how she maneuvers through her world, their world, you know, they show her in her van and how the van gets, how she gets out of the van with her wheelchair and all of that. And uh-huh. then just, yeah. So they, they're showing it and it's not like it's an issue. It's just who she is and how she gets around and how she lives her life. And I just really like that they did not make a big deal out of it. She's just one of his friends, 
you know, and did they I, pick a disabled person to play her or is it an able-bodied she, person? It is not an able-bodied person. So and that's what I really liked about it. So it, it, yeah. So she didn't suddenly, you know, there wasn't this episode where she could suddenly walk, but because he has these powers, he wanted to do something nice for her. And he thought that if he could make her walk by basically kind of levitating, he thought that that would be a good thing. And she was angry at him for doing that to her. Ah, yes. Yes. And I was just like cheering that on because, yeah, you know, regular able-bodied people think that, oh, you'll just be much better and you'll be much happier if you didn't have that situation. And it's like, right. if you this is see, a part of me. You could walk. Right. right. This is part of me. This is who I am. Don't take this away from me just because you think it's a problem. So right. I just really enjoyed uh, seeing that character on the show. I'm going to have to find this. That is a show yeah. that I'm not familiar with. I'll have to take yeah. a look at it. So season two is coming up pretty soon, and she she actually is still in. I saw a little clip, so she's in that. Uh, she's in the new season too. So I can't. Dion is his name, D I O N, and it's on Netflix. And I can't remember what the verb is in front of Dion. It's like finding Dion, chasing Dion, something like that. But um, it's it's a great. Um, it's like a middle grade show. So they're like in middle school or something like that. So even though it's they're, the main characters of middle grade is actually pretty intense. Um, so, you know, uh, for people who are listening in, it's probably PG 13 at the minimum. So I just, will, just I will Google that. and see if I can find it. Um, Google is my friend for these types of things. <laughs> so what about representation in terms of books? Like, do you see representation of things that are important to you in in books today, or do you still feel like we have a long way to go? I still think that um, it can use some improvement. I know that people are doing it. Um, Olivia Dade uh, with her, yes, um, you know, with her books. I just I love seeing the positive fat rep because you know I'm a yes. fat chick, and you know I I I'm a fat black chick, and I just yeah seeing us in in stories living our lives and finding love and it's not about oh I need to lose weight oh I can't eat that that cupcake you know I just I don't want I mean the book's about the struggle if you are a person who's struggling with your weight and having issues with it they're okay but I also think it's okay to be comfortable in the skin you're in and being the person that you are and not being ashamed of who you are or what you look like or, you know, what you've got going on. So I mm-hmm. really like um, that there are stories that are out there uh, that are just showing these people living their lives and, and, and being happy with who they are. And, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not a tragedy and it's not like you're never going to find love or, or, you know, have a romance because of what you look like. So I just, I really, kudos to the authors who are out there writing stories about, you know, different people um, just kind of hanging out with their friends and being happy, unapologetically happy with themselves. Yes, I think Spoiler Alert was one of the best books I read yes. in 2020. Mm-hmm. Laquette is another one. Um, she's writing some for Harlequin where she's got a oh. um, size. Um, heroines and and the just judging by the covers oh my god they are so awesome and I, I've read um um uh, geez an intimate takeover I think is the name of it um that recently came out from her so that one is a great one um yeah so I'm just I'm all over you know being able to find and read books or see stories uh with people that look like me or people you know that um have my body shape and all of that. So I just think it's great. And I just want them to keep on coming. Yes. I, I hope that we definitely see more of these things rather than less as time yes. moves on. Absolutely. I want to transition to talk a little bit about your writing. Um, you have written other books aside from the love con, but they don't appear to be romance. Is that correct? 
That's true. I've I've also done an urban fantasy series um, that's set here in Atlanta. It's called Shadow Chasers. The first book is Shadow Blade. And, I saw um, that. I actually have it sitting here on my shelf. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> oh well, thank you for having it on your shelf. That's You're welcome. Cool. I will read it very soon. It's it's sitting here in the you know mass of of books. <laughs> right. So yeah, um, I've gone from. Uh, uh, you know, because what I started reading were comic books, the, you know, the superhero comic books. And then I was, the cartoons that I watched were all of the, you know, the Justice League um, stories. Oh, yeah. Um, Thunder the Barbarian, I'm dating myself, but way back then, um, Land of the Lost, all of those crazy um, shows from when I was a kid. So it just kind of, all of that, the fantasy world just always fascinated me. So when I started reading reading science fiction and fantasy um, as a teenager growing up, it just kind of, I wanted to do my own take on it. And then when I discovered, discovered urban fantasy, I'm just like, let me glom every book that I can about these oh, badass yes. women and the men that stand with them. And uh, I just, I just started reading all of them. I'm like, I just really want to make a character uh, that can exist in a world like that. And then I'm like, I love my Egyptian mythology. I'm like, what if I could combine my love of ancient Egypt with a heroine that's kind of trying to do her thing in a paranormal world? And of course, I had to set in Atlanta because I'm in Atlanta. And yes. so I, right. And so then I just came up with this, you know, this closed world of all of these creatures that are either their light or shadow or they're somewhere in between. Most of them are in between, but my character, my heroine, uh, is a shadow chaser, which means that she hunts down the creatures who are in shadow and are, you know, trying to, you know, wreak havoc on the human world that doesn't know that they exist. So it just kind of, kind of just kind of involved from there. So by day, she's like an antiquities expert. So she works for a museum or she does freelancing for different museums, looking at their artifacts. And if they happen to have like curses on them, then she will diffuse the curse on them. And so there are a few, um, you know, museum curators who actually know that she has this ability. So they will bring her things or let her know about things that they want her to examine. Or, you know, and so that's the kind of the opening of the first book. There's this ancient Egyptian dagger that's half sentient. Um, and Ooh. so she, her, her, um, one of her museum, um, curator friends bring this blade to her. Um, but unfortunately he gets killed because one of these shadow demons wants the blade for himself. And then she finds out that this, Per, this curator friend of hers was actually her handler um, because all of the shadow chasers have this human handler that kind of assigns them cases. So he's been, because she's kind of anti, you know, authority, um, he's been kind of doing it on, on the sly. So, you know, once she finds out that he, um, he was her watcher and he got killed, she just kind of is, you know, wants to get revenge on this. So when she is hanging out with her friends with this, and she's got this dagger, the owner of the dagger comes in and she immediately thinks that he's a bad guy and she's ready to, um, you know, take him on and take him down until um, he touches her trying to make a grab for the dagger. And she finds out that she doesn't get any kind of feeling off of him because, you know, the, she can touch things and basically download all of this information. And if she touches humans, she can kind of drain them and it drains her, getting Ooh. all of their memories and stuff downloaded into her. So when she meets this person that um, can touch her and she doesn't get any kind of feedback, it kind of freaks her out. Um, so then she kind of learns his story and learns that, you know, he's actually not a bad guy. He's the 4,000 year old Nubian warrior who Whoa. has been, right who was made immortal by Isis because he's got to save a life for every life that he took when he went on this rampage after his village was decimated and his wife and children were killed. So, you know, he just kind of got his army together and just was salting the earth and killing people in this whole quest for revenge. Of course, it wasn't going to bring his, his family back, but, you know, you know, after he, got his revenge and realized that, you know, he still felt awful. He kind of just went and hid in a cave for a while. And then ISIS came to him and said, 
now that you've done this evil, I need you to do this good. And you, and before you can have your rest and go join your family, you've got to save a life for every life that you took. So now he's down to the last few. And it's not that he can just go save somebody. He has particular people that he has to save. And one of the last people that he has to save is Kira because she's kind of slipping a little bit out of her out of light into shadow and so he's got to basically protect her and keep her from falling and basically one of the ways you establish towards the end of the book one of the ways that he has to save her potentially is by killing her if she gets too infected with shadow so it kind of sets up this this um he loves her you know and wants to be with her but at the same time he knows that there may come a time when he's going to have to um protect her by killing her yeah Yeah. and it's something that he doesn't want to do so yeah so that's kind of how the story progresses unfortunately it's only three books long but I do want to get back into that world and write more books um about Kira and Kafar and their metaphysical urban fantasy lives oh urban fantasy is so so excellent I feel like we had this big burst around like yes I don't know, like the mid 2000s. Right. There was just like this plethora of urban fantasy. And then I feel like a lot of it has kind of like dwindled. Right. Um, but I'm so, always really happy when I see more of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of like down to like, um, like three or four of the big name people, um, who are, who have these huge followings who are able to continue on their stories. Um, um, and I'm going to butcher names again. Um, Patricia Briggs, I got to sit next to her oh, during Mercy Con panel Thompson. this year. Yes, love her books, love them all. Um, so uh, Alona Andrews, she did her, her series has ended, um, I think. Well, uh, her Kate yes. Daniels has ended, but yes. then she has um, this Hidden Legacy. Sister. Right. Um, so, yeah, and then she had the, the Border books and... Yeah, I don't can't remember oh, what the, the series name. The Edge. Thank you. It's like Border Edge. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it was close. So yeah, I, I I enjoyed those books too. So um, Jim Butcher, of course, you know, has his books. Uh, so uh, so there are so they're keeping it alive. So hopefully, I I think that um people people can still make entry into that genre and still produce good books. So I hope that people will continue writing them because I know, you know, readers meet, read more than one book at a time, more than one book a month. So I think there's room for everybody and their stories. Um, I don't think that uh, other writers are competition just because I know I have piles of books that I want to read. Lots oh, of yes. people have piles, electronic piles or physical piles of books that they want to read. So there's, there's room for everybody, I think. So you know, if you if it's something that you want to write and it's something that you love, go for it. And, you know, with self-publishing being so big and so lucrative for a lot of people, there's really no excuse for you not to be able to get your work out there if you want One it out there. One of the most amazing hidden urban fantasy gems that I have found over the past couple of years is the Alice Worth series by Lisa Edmonds. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, see, that that's why it's like, it's so <laughs> underrated and wonderful. It's like one of these series that I don't hear people talking about. It's like a few people, you know, you'll ask something, you're like, oh yeah, Alice Worth. I'm like, wow, like someone actually knows. Um, it's a kind of it's a darker, kind of grittier urban fantasy. It's about a maze okay. PI who is on the run from some things in her past, and she starts out at this sort of loner she has a lot of reasons not to trust people she goes through this amazing character growth there's huge amounts of found family i just love it so much i think the last book which is number eight i think just came out and it is amazing and i keep hoping that if more people you know get into it and if her sales go up like maybe she'll keep writing right um because she is amazing 
Yeah, and Nancy Northcott did uh, kind of a, a similar kind of thing. Uh, well, he wasn't a PI, but it's this group of mages. It's called, it's the Sentinel series. Oh, yes, they're the kidneys. Yes. So I, I really, um, I really enjoyed those books. Um, and just basically she had this secret society of mages hidden, you know, down near the Okefenokee Swamp. And I'm just like, it, it, it's just yeah. pretty great how they have this this whole world and sometimes they foray out and then they have this enclave of with all of these shenanigans and Game of Thrones like intrigue and stuff going on with the High Council and it's just it's it's just really great and then the oh she's gonna kick me um I can't remember what the evil the big bad in those stories are but there are some that they have to fight and it's just and they can infect you and it's just like this it's just this really kind of adventure magic kind of world, and I just really enjoy it. Um, and then they're, they're normal people, the but then they have all this magic stuff going on. Exactly. So that's another yes. great series that I like. There's just so much out there, and I'm I'm so glad that people are continuing to write these things and to keep expanding the genre, bringing in new mythologies, like new takes on things like vampires and shapeshifters. Yes. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, I've got a back closet book, um, a series about this quirky little town where everybody is some kind of paranormal, and the town historian is a vampire um, from uh, Haiti, and she Ooh. helped with the right. Is she helped with uh, overthrowing the French government in Haiti? You know, because you know she was a vampire, uh, so she was able to help. But as soon as they got their independence, they kicked her out because they didn't want her kind. Well, that's not nice. Um, right. So she, she's kind of disgruntled about that and, and wanting to withdraw from. Uh, you know, the human world, because, you know, screw you guys. Um, and yeah. so she ends up, so she ends up in this, um, f- fictional, um, town that, uh, in the North Georgia mountains is kind of, um, uh, modeled after, uh, the Tulula Gorge, um, portion with the, you know, with, with the remote mountain, the waterfall. So, um, I got to figure out the name of the town, um, I was going to say Mystic Springs, but that's probably been used before. But so there's this paranormal town and it's it's almost like a sundown town for humans. So after Aww. sundown, all of the paranormal creatures come out. Um, so they rely on the tourism to bring in the bucks, but um, they also rely on their 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 paranormal population. So it's it's. So there's this town, so they are really living their regular lives, but they also have this, these paranormal things, but they also have humans that come and work in the town. So the humans that are okay have, have this charm that they can use that allows them entry into the town and protection if they stay after dark. So, and then, you know, there's some people who, um, you know, lose their charm and, bad things can happen to them and you know there's this place that uh, look like this dark part of the town that um only the paranormal creatures go into and if you're human and you go into there well you probably are going to get into trouble so it's it's so such a back burner back burner story because mm. you know i'm doing these contemporaries right now but i really i really want to write that town I, so I, I hope just, one day you do Yes, yeah, so I'm just I'm just doing a story bible right now and just populating with the different creatures and how the government works and they have this you know rapid response team when um the paranormal creatures kind of get out of hand. Um so it's so right now I'm just having fun just populating the world in a story bible. So hopefully hopefully one day I I will have enough bandwidth where I can um, venture back into that because I want it I want it to be kind of funny but also gritty so we'll see if I can do that well if you ever do that I will definitely (laughs) be pre-ordering it because it sounds so incredible awesome thank you well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today and to let listeners know a little bit about you and the stuff that you read, the stuff that you write, and just basically your outlook on the world. I have really enjoyed getting to know a bit about you. Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me. This has been a lot of fun. 
And before you disappear into the ether of the Internet, can you let people know the best place to find you online? Sure. Uh, my website is www.sericiaglass.com. I'm also on Twitter at Sericia. Um, my Facebook page is author Sericia Glass. And I'm also on Instagram at Sericia Glass. Perfect. And again, we started out, although we, we didn't discuss it very much, but we started out discussing the Love Con, <laughs> which is Sericia's latest book. It was released here in the U.S. on December 14th. All right. So new books. As always, I'm going to start out with some books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of June episode. I'm going to start with two books that Mika highlighted. One is Cold Silence. This is a cold justice novel by Tony Anderson. Um, the numbering on this series is a little bit ambiguous, so I'm going to just go with a cold justice novel, and this is Romantic Suspense. We then have a contemporary romance. This is Thank You Next by Andy J. Christopher. I am super excited about Meg Mitchell Moore's Vacation Land, which is coming out this week. And Georgina has a couple of books that she's looking forward to this week. Hurricane Girl by Marcy Dermansky and Trouble with the Cursed by Kim Harrison. This is the 16th book in her Urban Fantasy Hollows series. So those are some books that you've heard us talk about before, but what about books we haven't previously mentioned? I'm going to talk about a couple of historical novels. First up is Belle Green. This is by Alexandra LaPierre. This is set in Gilded Age, New York. It is the fictionalized account of the life of Belle Green, who is the director of the Morgan Library and passed as white um, throughout her lifetime. So this is Belle Green, and it's by Alexandra LaPierre. We also have Valiant Ladies. This is by Melissa Gray. It is a young adult historical based on real events and real people. It is about vigilante justice, um, a group of girls who were thought of as kind of outcasts band together to stand up for what they believe in. This is Valiant Ladies by Melissa Gray. Now, moving on to some mysteries, we have the Tuesday Night Survivors Club. This is Survivors Book Club Mystery Book One by Lynn Cahoon. And this is a story of female friendships and book clubs and finding out why a dead body was discovered, who put it there, what happened to the victim, all these things that we love in mysteries. So this is the Tuesday Night Survivors Club, Survivors Book Club Mystery, book one by Lynn Cahoon. We also have a new Julianne McLean mystery. This one is Beyond the Moonlit Sea. It's about a woman who is trying to figure out what happened to her husband. He is a pilot and he disappears one night without a trace. And so now she's kind of putting the pieces back together, trying to figure out where he went. Did he go of his own free will? Was he abducted? Like what happened? Julianne McLean has written contemporary romance, historical romance, mysteries, all kinds of things. She is a phenomenal writer. This one is Beyond the Moonlit Sea. And again, it's by Julianne McLean. Fiona Barton has a new book out this week. This is Local Gone Missing. Barton has written the Kate Waters series, which is a three-book series that focuses on a journalist. This is a standalone about a homicide detective who has moved to a small town. She is trying to recover from breast cancer, and somehow she falls right into an amateur murder investigation. This is Local Gone Missing by Fiona Barton. 
We also have Can't Look Away, and this should be coming in for me from the local library really, really soon. It's by Carola Lovering, and I have enjoyed the books of hers that I've read in the past. Um, this one, it is her third novel. It is about a woman who has a secret past connection with a singer, and this past may come back to haunt her present. It's Can't Look Away, and it's by Carola Lovering. We also have The House Sitter. This is a standalone mystery by Ellery Kane. It is about a woman who is a mother's helper slash house sitter, but she's also more than that. Um, she has an ulterior motive for working in this particular house, and if you want to know what that motive is, you'll have to pick it up. It is The House Sitter by Ellery Kane. Moving on, um, I want to talk about some romance, some women's fiction, things like that. I am starting out with City of Likes by Jenny Mollen. This is a novel of motherhood, female friendships, and the seductive power of social media. I think we all know how powerful social media is today and has been for the past few years, and I love when authors explore this in their books. So this is one that I'm definitely looking forward to. It's City of Likes by Jenny Mullen. Then we have The Beach Trap. This is by Allie Brady. It starts when two girls meet at summer camp and discover that they are half-sisters, kind of like the parent trap, only no twins. Um, but then, 15 years later, their father has died, and they have a joint inheritance. They inherit a beach house, and so they kind of come together to try to figure out, like, can they make this work? Can they like, be sisters or have the secrets of their past kind of torn them apart forever? This is The Beach Trap, and it's by Allie Brady. We then have Jock Wanted. This is Rookie Rebels, number seven, by Kate Meter. Um, Stacy has read and really enjoyed a couple of Kate Meter's books. I know she has a series about firefighters. Um, her Rookie Rebels series is a sports romance series, I think, about hockey players. Um, so she is pretty well-loved in contemporary romance circles. This is Jock Wanted, Rookie Rebels, number seven, by Kate Meter. Linda Holmes. A couple of years ago, she released Evie Drake Starts Over. She is back now with Flying Solo. Um, it's been a couple of years, and a lot of people have loved Evie Drake and have been hoping that Holmes would come out with a second book. So here she is, another kind of quirky women's fiction about a woman trying to put her life back together, figure out who she is, is love in the cards for her. Um, this is Flying Solo, and it's by Linda Holmes. So what about some fantasy, right? Because we need some fantasy. I'm going to start with City of Ruin. This is Ruinland's book one by Lindsay Pogue. And I have loved some of Lindsay Pogue's post-apocalyptic books, a series that she wrote with Lindsay Fairley, as well as a series that she's written by herself. Sarah and Stacy also really like her books. Um, Ruined Lands is a series of standalone fantasy fairy tale retelling. So this one is kind of a mixture between Jane Eyre and Beauty and the Beast. It's set in an underground city, um, or at least it starts in an underground city. I am really intrigued by this. Um, it is a sister series to her Forgotten Lands, which begins with Dust and Shadow. Um, it looks like, though, you can read this as a standalone if you have not read Forgotten Lands. So this is City of Ruin, Ruined Lands, book one by Lindsay Pogue. We also have Run Red, The Monster You Know, book one by Nova Blake. This is about a woman who wants revenge on the supernatural being who killed her mother. 
Um, unfortunately, revenge is not always easy. And if you want to know more, you'll have to read this. I am always on the lookout for new urban fantasy. So this is one that I will be checking out as soon as I can. We also have Oleander. This is Poison Garden, book one, by Jennifer Alice Provost. This is about a woman who is trying to leave the supernatural world behind, but the supernatural world has other plans and doesn't want to let her go. So she's working as a private detective. Apparently she can talk to the dead, and this is helpful to her in her cases, but then things get kind of dicey, as they so often do in fiction. So this one is Oleander. It's Poison Garden, book one, and it's by Jennifer Alice Provost. If you love time travel, then this one might be up your alley. This is Breaking Time, and it's by Sasha Alspert. This one is supposed to be for fans of Outlander. It is a story of star-crossed lovers and now this part isn't quite like outlander okay are you ready time traveling assassins i don't know if you're ready but i'm ready this is breaking time and it's by sasha elsbert and lastly i want to highlight the blood traitor this is the prison healer book three by lynette noni um, the first book in the series came out i think in late 2020 and i've had this author on my radar ever since this is young adult fantasy dark young adult fantasy um, with all of the things that you love in a book like this lots of intrigue lots of romance lots of strong world building very twisty um, the magic feels quite fresh and new you know you're not thinking like oh this is something I've read 80 times before let's get on with it um, so if you're a fan of fantasy I highly recommend you pick up this series especially since the third book is out this week and that is the blood traitor prison healer book three by Lynette Noni and that is all I have for you on this stormy mid-June evening. I hope all of you are staying safe and well with lots of great books to keep you company. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.